1: Good morning, Long Island, and welcome to GDI on Autism, on World well, 3.9 FM, keeping an eye on autism and giving a voice to its Long Island community. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Romas. Again, so glad that you can join us this morning as we share and explore oral relevant issues related to autism spectrum disorder. Well, this morning, we'll be continuing our conversation with Dr. Geraldine Dawson. Dr. Dawson, you may remember, is the William Cleveland Distinguished Professor of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Duke University, where she also is a professor of pediatrics and psychology and neuroscience. When we left off last week, we were talking about some thrilling and exciting new advances in our ability to accurately assess autism in very, very young children, including toddlers uh, and infants through the use of uh, computers and AI and there really was so much. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you. Uh, first of all, welcome, to, welcome back, Dr. Johnson. As we uh, as we proceed, if you could just very briefly recap the, the highlight of what we uh we were able to cover just you know there's so much more to go through but just a little bit so for new listeners and then i'd love to move into how we can use that information uh to describe interventions and uh, perhaps make more definitive diagnoses
0: well hello again and i'm happy to be back Uh, and i i'm going to just briefly cover what we talked about previously Now, our goal uh, in terms of our research program is to develop more accurate tools for early detection of autism. And why is that important? Because we know that the early signs of autism begin quite early in life, in the second half of the first year of life, so between 6 and 12 months. And by 18 months, you can reliably diagnose autism. So we want to be able to pick up on autism early. Right now, the average age of diagnosis in the US is more around five years of age. So we know we're not doing uh, a great job of this. Currently, the standard of care in terms of early screening at 18 and 24 months in primary care is to use a questionnaire. And that's great. We think parent report is absolutely essential. Um, However, it's missing some kids. We think it's missing. uh, The data suggests it's missing children of color. It's missing girls at a higher rate. So what we're trying to do is to use this, what you think of as a multimodal approach where we have more than one way of evaluating the child and determining whether the child um, might be on the autism spectrum. And last week, I talked about the idea of direct observation of the child's behavior. And we've developed an app. We call it Sense to Know. When you think about uh, it's based on sensors that are in an iPhone or an I, uh, iPad, and it also makes sense to know that what's going on with your child. But the way this works is it's us uh, simply download this app. It's a set of brief movies. They're strategically designed to elicit certain behaviors. We use the camera in the device to record the child's responses. And then there is a technology called computer vision that can accurately assess all the movements of the face and the body. And then we can use that information to detect things like where is the child looking, what are the facial expressions, body movements, and then use that information to determine whether that child um, has a likelihood of, of an autism diagnosis and needs to be evaluated and referred. So that's really important. But we, we are trying to develop even yet another uh, approach. And um, I talked about this earlier, but in most fields of medicine, it's very unusual not to have several sources of information um, that we use in screening. And uh, the example I've used is if you had a heart condition, um, your doctor would certainly ask you about your symptoms. That would be very important. But the doctor would also directly measure your heart. That's an objective measure. It's not based on your self-report or the, or the physician's self-report. It's really measuring directly. Uh, But then they also might measure your cholesterol and they might measure your blood pressure and do a stress test. So as you know, there's other fields of medicine. The doctor gets multiple sources of information and then uses those to, to make a good decision about your treatment plan and referrals. And that's what we're trying to do with autism. So what's the other approach that we're developing Um, What we're doing is to use the information that is embedded in the child's electronic health record. So the studies that we've been doing are done uh, through the Duke University Health System. And uh, the children in our study, most of them have been patients at Duke since they were born. And so during the first year of life, certainly by 18 months, they've come to Duke many times and what are they coming to Duke for? That's the question we asked. So the first study we did was to say, we're going to look at hundreds of patients who went on to have a diagnosis of autism. We also compared those to children who went on to have a diagnosis of ADHD or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and then children with other just regular medical conditions such as respiratory disease. And we looked to see whether... In the first year of life, so by 12 months of age, was there anything different about the way in which they're coming and the kinds of visits they're having? And what we found was there was a very different pattern. So um, what we discovered is before 12 months of age, an infant who will go on later to get a, a diagnosis of autism is much more likely to be visiting a gastroenterologist, an ophthalmologist, a neurologist, which is perhaps not that uh, surprising, to be seeing a physical therapist and many other specialists that would be uh, much less likely for a child who's going not going to have some kind of a neurodevelopmental condition. And this pattern of healthcare utilization um, was different than the children who went on to get a diagnosis of ADHD. So, for example, a child who would get the diagnosis of ADHD was much more likely to have uh, visited the emergency department by 12 months of age, which kind of makes sense because we think of ADHD to be involved with risk taking. I guess we didn't think it started, you know, before 12 months, but um, perhaps you know that child is more likely to have an accident, for example, um, and then end up in the emergency department. So this is a very um, robust field of science right now where there is a lot of information in each patient's electronic health record that tells you um, much about um, how they might respond to certain medications. Uh, There's studies, for example, that uh, can predict uh, whether a patient is more likely to be susceptible to suicide. This is a very, very uh, active area of research in medicine. And the idea is that um, the computer is gathering all of this information automatically. So it, rather than the physician, the pediatrician in this case, having to go back and try to look at every thing that has happened for this child in their medical record, the computer is already calculating. Basically, a um, an algorithm that is based on again machine learning of all those electronic health record elements, and then using that to tell the pediatrician that this child has a higher likelihood of autism. So imagine that you're getting ready for a um, to see a child. You're a pediatrician now, and you're going to see a child for a well child visit. And the computer has already looked to see everything that's happened with this child. And then something would pop up in your screen that says this child, based on their pattern of healthcare care utilization, um, has a higher chance of, of an autism diagnosis. And what that would mean is that the uh, pediatrician may decide to spend a little more time, right, mm-hmm. other than just 15 minutes. Yeah. They may be sure to gather that questionnaire, maybe do the app that we talked about. Um, but in general pay a lot more attention uh, and use that information along with other information to make uh, a better referral. So this is, uh, we think this is a very exciting area. NIH is now funding a new study uh, where we're using even a larger sample. The other thing is that's really exciting about these studies is that The data that we're working with is on the tens of thousands. So, we like we may have a database of 40,000 patients, of whom, you know, a thousand would have autism and uh, 2,000 might have ADHD. So, uh, these very large sample size allow us to look at things like sex differences and developmental trajectories and. Um, to just understand in much uh, greater richness uh, what's going on uh, with any given child.
1: It is thrilling. And and when we come back from the break, uh, it would be very nice to hear a little bit more about the implications of this, not not only for treatment, given all the additional resources, because as you suggested, the computer piece is part of a larger battery and increases uh, our ability to create a profile along with the electronic records and such. There's a, there's a profile. And I think it'll be really good for us to think a little bit about when we have, and it's such a robust sample, when we really look at that, what that could also mean in terms of funding the interventions. Throughout the country, because we'll have a sense of who needs what. And just lastly, nuance, because I imagine that some of the babies that we're looking at will have autism and ADHD, or some of that. So, how do we tease that out as well? So, stay with us. We'll bring you right back in the conversation with Dr. General Lee Dawson. take we'll You're listening to DDI Autism and 103.9 FM, Dr. Mike Lomas here, continuing my conversation with Dr. Geraldine Dawson, and we're talking a little bit about the implications of some exciting new advances, uh, both with respect to the uh, acquiring electronic records and computer assessment on behalf of really young guys infants and toddlers uh, with autism. And uh, I know in the, in the very short break, uh, Dr. Dawson, you to speak a little bit more about uh, electronic records and what that can mean long term.
0: Yeah. So I, before I uh, continue with this discussion, I did want to mention that this kind of work is very interdisciplinary. And it does require these teams of scientists from very different kinds of disciplines. So I, I'm a psychologist with a background in both developmental and clinical psychology and neuroscience. But you can imagine I'm I'm working with computer scientists and people who are very skilled in the area of technology. I I do want to mention my colleague Guillermo Sapiro, who is the uh, person who has been working with me on the app that we've been creating that uses computer vision to directly measure behavior. And uh, then the second line of work is focused on electronic health records and using the information in a patient's um, uh, you know, medical history to be able to predict whether a young uh, infant will go on to have a diagnosis of autism. And that work, again, is a collaboration. This time I'm working with data scientists. And in particular, I've been working with two professors here at Duke University, Ben Goldstein and Matt Engelhardt. So it's really been a fun and very productive collaboration. So in terms of uh, thinking about the use of electronic health records, one point I, I want to make is that this work has highlighted the idea that autism is not just a behavioral diagnosis, but does involve a wide range of medical conditions. And often people are not uh, aware of this. They think of autism as, you know, a set of behaviors, and they're not aware that there's a much higher prevalence of conditions such as GI conditions, uh, sleep problems. Um, Actually, we discovered, you know, problems with the, you know, visits to the ophthalmologist. So even the vision system is affected. Certainly the motor system and motor delays are one of the earliest signs of autism. So, it, you know, the reason why this is important is because often these conditions can be overlooked, and some of the behaviors that we see um, associated with autism, sometimes if you see tantrums or other challenging behaviors these can reflect these underlying medical conditions. So you can imagine that if someone, and this is throughout a lifespan, by the way, that I know I've been talking a lot about infants and toddlers, but throughout the lifespan, uh, these medical conditions can be of concern. Um, And so we wanna have this more comprehensive view. Uh, We want physicians like a pediatrician, not just to be seeing the behavior, but to thinking, thinking about the whole child. If a child is not having good sleep or has some kind of pain in in terms of a GI condition, uh, not only will they not be able to respond to behavioral interventions as well, uh, but they may be showing behaviors like tantrums and so forth, um, and the physician may misattribute those to autism when, in fact, They need to be paying attention to these underlying medical conditions. So that's one of the benefits of studying the electronic health record is that you start to get this very comprehensive picture of autism and the kinds of things that we need to be doing to make sure that that individual child is getting uh, the care that they need.
1: Well, Sam, I'm so glad you brought that particular point point up Uh, I will say that at, at, at DDI, I, I, the agency uh, which, which which puts together the show, actually. We're leading the charge around an understanding of the complexity of the people we support to move beyond just seeing the autism to seeing the likelihood of other mental health challenges and physical challenges. And the fact that you have shared that right now, I hope that will resonate. So we really do need to be sensitized to so much more than the diagnosis of a of a developmental disability. I just wanted to to underscore that because I again I just so appreciate your your highlighting that.
0: I think a related point is the co-occurrence of psychiatric conditions. So, so that's another important point. Um, and uh, we were talking about ADHD earlier. Uh, you know, it turns out that about fifty percent of people on the autism spectrum also have ADHD. So, a whole other line of our work is understanding um, if you have a child with both autism and ADHD you know, how does that change screening? Mm-hmm. So we have a, a an entire project that is focused on that because it turns out that if you have both autism and ADHD, you are more likely to be missed in terms of the autism diagnosis. Why is that the case? It's probably because ADHD is much more disruptive. And so that's what you're paying attention to. And that gets, you know, that's, it's called diagnostic overshadowing, where the thing that is the most obvious, you know, gets the most attention. So, um, you know, these are all the complexities that one thinks about when you're developing, you know, screening tools, but also intervention. And we can, you know, certainly touch on that as well. How how do you change your intervention if you have a child with both autism and ADHD versus a child with only autism? But returning to this idea around the electronic health records, the vision that we have is that uh, the computer would be constantly monitoring all of the health information about a given patient uh, throughout their life, and that the computer then can use this information uh, very early in life to know whether that child has a higher likelihood of a diagnosis of autism. Later in life, there have been studies that um, have shown that that information could be predictive of response to different treatments or um, likelihood of suicide. There's a study on that as well. Um, So this is a very rich uh, data set. But in terms of um, early detection, you know, our vision would be that the computer would gather this information and that when the pediatrician looks at that child's medical chart, the computer would automatically pop up uh, with a, you know, page that says, you know, this child has a higher likelihood of autism. Now, that's important, but what many people don't realize is that even when there's a positive screen, most pediatricians don't make a referral. Mm. And going back to, um, we talked earlier in the show about the use of a questionnaire, which is the typical way that that kids are screened now. So, when a child gets a positive screen on the MCHAT or the modified checklist for toddlers and autism... About 60% of pediatricians don't make a referral. And so developing a screening tool is only one piece of the work that we're doing. We need to connect the positive screen to the referral Mm -hmm. so that then... You know, kids can get a diagnosis, which then ultimately the whole purpose is to get into early intervention.
1: Uh, can I ask about that reticence? Is is it concerned that they're going to get that wrong and alarm parents for for no no good reason? Do they not do, do they not trust the test? Do they not trust their own judgment? Uh, do they not have the time? What, what, what's coming together uh, to, to to cause that reluctance uh, to to sound the alarm?
0: It is all of the above.
1: Mm.
0: So it is true that pediatricians have very little time. So you can imagine you've got 15 minutes to do this screen. Pediatricians may or may not feel confident. They may be worried that if they bring this up, this will be very concerning. I do think the fact that there is a dearth of services out there. So it. I can understand being reluctant, right, in making a referral when, in fact, you're, you know, you don't know whether the the services will be out there. Uh, but what we've been trying to do at Duke is develop what's called clinical decision support. This is another very active field uh, in the area of medicine, where when the physician gets that feedback, they also get advice of what they should do. So they would be told what to do. Here's the numbers the parents can call, push this button, and they can have this piece of paper they can take with them that you can print out. So making it very easy to connect positive screening information to actionable advice for the physician makes a huge difference. We did one study where we increased referrals from 25% to 85% just by providing clinical decision support. So that's the, the, the other piece I wanted to mention that's so important. But also for those that are parents that are listening, kind of remember that you need to be an advocate. And if you have concerns, your pediatrician may or may not make that referral, so do persist and do follow your own instincts. Uh, make sure that you uh, are getting the services for your child that you think your child needs.
1: Well, you, you underscore the fact that it really is a brave new world. And uh, I hope you'll come back in maybe less than a year to speak to that because uh, things seem to be happening at the speed of light. So take, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to, to, to bring, us, so bring us forward. Uh, Dr. Dr. Geraldine Dawson, Duke Duke University. Many thanks.
0: Well, thank you for having me on. I've enjoyed it. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting Management, or its sponsors.